Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends. Wherever you found it, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content, you can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at LonghornPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who hasn't yet made fun of me for having the mouth of the part of our intro that we don't do anymore, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? You know, it's it's a phantom limb, Gerald. Sometimes you just, you know, in the transition, we have to... You know, go slow, be comfortable. You know, we are a, a part of um, our own network and we can get great content wherever you and I are. Um, and that's that's what's important is, is this content and any future content that you and I provide. I mean, Kyle, that intro lasted longer than the Confederate States of America. And people still remember that. Gerald, that is that is um, <laughs> I've been doing this podcast with you for six years. I think we used that intro for four years, both things, as you said, longer uh, than, than, than that entity. But uh, that that's that's in the short list of the two or three favorite things you've ever said on this podcast and, and in the short list in our lengthy friendship, which is much longer than that. That's you have a you have a gift for, <laughs> for perception and incision. Um, well played. Well played. I'm good for uh, I'm good for one tonight. We're not here to talk though uh, about history. We're here to talk actually to project the future. We've got the man himself, B. Wilk, Brett Wilkerson, coming on to talk about uh, Texas currently uh, sitting pretty in the Directors Cup, and we're going to ask him to predict the points going forward. We'll obviously talk through the rest of the sports going on on campus as well, because well, those will impact the Directors Cup. Uh, baseball had a tough weekend, but got back in the swing of things on the Tuesday matchup. Softball had an even worse weekend, and they have a shot to get back uh, against Iowa State. We like beating Iowa State down the 40. We'll talk about some top teams, top 10 Texas, as Kyle likes to say, back in action. Burn orange lenses, be quick, down the 40, uh, bang the drum, and Godzilla trying to close us out. We teased it on Twitter. He's been here before, but it's back like the first time. Brett Wilkinson, the man behind the Twitter handle Director's Cup Dates. He has been tabulating in the spreadsheets just because he loves you so much, bringing you all of your Director's Cup updates as uh, we enter into what I think we can probably generously call money-making season for Texas as it um, as we round the uh, round third heading toward the end of the year, Texas hoping to three-peat. The, Longhorn, the Longhorns, the men finished tied for fifth in men's basketball. The ladies finished tied for 17th, so they earned some points there. Maybe not as much on the women's side as we're hoping, but that's another conversation for another day. But Brett, you've crunched the numbers. You're back. First of all, how are you doing tonight? I'm great. Thanks for having me back on. Glad to glad to be here talking some direct uh, directors cup with y'all guys with you guys. It's always fun. Um, it's not that we think of you know um, a parent child like relationship, but you know I feel like these conversations are the the launching point and impetus for what has now become a full fledged uh, phenomenon. We, we we may hint on another tournament which took place in March on Kyle Among's Twitter, uh, but uh, you know it's it's a certain sense of pride that we feel uh, that you have you have taken and run in and are the official the official uh, world's internet's leading director cup scholar uh it's always good to have you back on man yeah i think it's uh i don't have much competition in that way um but you know i'll take it so somebody had to fill the void and, uh, and that was me <laughs> here's the thing the nfl the ncaa the mlb disney really don't really have much competition they still enjoy being number one so you enjoy it man <laughs> you enjoy being the world's uh finest director's cup dater i will i will thank you so I, I I kind of ruined the tease a little bit, but like we said, Texas, after a uh, run to the Elite Eight, finished fifth in basketball, earning some points. The women earned not as many points as we're hoping, but tied for 17th after their elimination in the round of 32. So um, the winter sports honestly feel like a little bit of like a uh, nice to have. And, and Texas is entering into where the generally the season, the spring season, is where Texas has catapulted itself into position. So let's start with where are things currently, uh, Brett, with Texas and just the Directors' Cup rankings overall. 
Yeah, definitely. And the funny thing is, so we're, we're finished fall. We're almost finished with winter. Um, it's technically not over until gymnastics and bowling, uh, which Texas, of course, doesn't compete in yet. <laughs> CDC, if you're listening, bowling, cue it up. Um, but we're really only about halfway through the season. So there's 37 sports. We're done with 19 as of today. So this is the halfway mark. Um, so there's still a lot to come. And like you said, this is where Texas really makes a move really strong in the spring sports, the country club, country club sports, as we like to call them. So t Texas is primed to make a move. And it's really been a strong fall and winter for Texas, stronger than it's been in, in previous years. They're outpacing themselves, um, even compared to last year when they, um, you know, won this thing in runaway fashion. So Texas is doing great so far, so far in the fall and winter. Um, you mentioned women's basketball. There was a great opportunity there when that bracket opened up with Stanford out of the way for the women to rack up a lot of points as well. Didn't get it done. But regardless of that, Texas is in strong position. They're in second place. Ohio State is in first place. They are 99.25 points ahead of Texas. Not 100, 99.25 points ahead. Um, that, that comes in handy later. Um, but so Ohio State's had a great, a great season so far. Stanford is, of course, doing Stanford things. They're right behind Texas by about three points. Um, and then really in the fall and early winter, North Carolina was on a tear. And I'll tell you now, they've they've fallen off the pace a little bit. They're down in fourth place um, without a whole lot left um, in the chamber at this point. So that's kind of things where things stand. Didn't you predict that on our last time together is that North Carolina surged, but they were going to fall off? Like you're getting a you're getting to be have a Podstradamus reputation, really. I mean, maybe maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. But I probably did. <laughs> After we robbed you so, of the beach volleyball thing, like I really, I need to hype yeah. this up. We recorded it before they announced it, and the show was scheduled to come out the day they announced it. It was ridiculous. Uh, I'm putting my finger down on bowling as the next sport on UT's campus, so it might happen this year, next year. I don't know, but, but I mean, I, I, I have long. We're, we're way behind. Gymnastics is a is a huge sport. It's it's I don't know bowling maybe as well, but um, I, I've long said that there's so many great. Texas gymnasts who could just come down the road from Houston uh, or wherever and, and uh, you know, build a program there. Uh, the, you know, there's there's literal uh, Olympians who've, who've uh, attended UT and not done uh, not done gymnastics. That's another story for another podcast. Um, there's a former gold medalist uh, married to a UT quarterback. Um, but uh, anyways, I will just say if we ever go the uh the real expansion route I, I i like gymnastics even though it'll be a slow curve like like beach volleyball you gotta you gotta build your way up but i think once we get there we'll be there but bowling that's i mean who do, do you have any I'm, I'm taking us completely off the rails who's the bowling powerhouse I, I couldn't even guess i couldn't even guess well you know a local flavor sfa i think they won maybe two years ago Ooh. so, so okay. they're actually quite good um, but you know you got to watch out for McKendry College, um, right of outside of St. Louis. Of course you do. They they were a bowling powerhouse, which which is why I think Texas could easily throw their hat in that ring and and compete with the McKendrys and the SFAs um, and the Vanderbilts. Vanderbilt probably being the biggest name in the bowling realm right now. So looking at sports that are that are actually being played this year, and and noting you said we're at about the midway point of of sports done where are the points going to come from to see texas's third um championship you know we're sitting at number two you said now we know we have a lot of meat left on the bone what are you what are you looking at specifically as some strong not necessarily have to be national champions but top finishers who can provide some big points i'm gonna i'm gonna throw some numbers at you and and you can guess at the end what these numbers refer to so that would be one eleven nine 13, 1, 10, 1, 3, and 16. Uh, your social security number. That's correct. <laughs> yeah, got it. Um, are those current rankings of sports actively playing? Yep. So those those are the current rankings. And um, if you were listening in there, a lot of low numbers, quite a few single-digit numbers. And if not single digits, 
we're talking about low teens. So Texas has a lot of, of big finishes um, coming down the pipe. You know, men's tennis is ranked number one. Rowing, of course, is number one. Um, and men's track and field came in at number one right now. That might change. Women's track and field came in at number three. That also might change for the better. So they've got some some high-end finishes that are coming down the pipe this spring. Oh, like, what is it, 18 sports? You have to include basketball, right? So it's it's 19 sports that you include. The ones you must include are both basketball teams, baseball, and volleyball. So that leaves, what, 14 uh, sports in Texas has six that are low numbers that are still out there. So the majority, so uh, nearly half of what's available left for Texas is going to be a, a solid finish is what you're telling me. Well, Brett, we know when you speak things, you speak them into existence. So we're going to go ahead and just put you on the spot. I mean, give us a percentage likelihood that Texas takes home the cup. Uh, don't have to give us an exact point total, but just that they can repeat. How confident are you willing to bet uh, your house on it that they can they can land this thing uh wow betting the house on it um i wouldn't quite go that far right now all right but all right i'll say this i think it i really only see two teams that are going to come into play right, right now one of them being texas the other being stanford and right now shocker i think texas has about a 100 point edge over stanford um which which you know, a few bad breaks for Texas and a few good breaks for Stanford could make up those 100 points. But, you know, that would have to happen in about four different sports, everything breaking Stanford's way. So I really do like Texas's chance right now um, to three-peat. I love it. It puts a little bit of uh, more hurt on that Stanford going out in that bracket uh, and, and Texas having to really pass. Uh, but, you know, the, it, it is not a shock. Every time Stanford loses, it's a good thing for Texas. Uh, second best rival ever. Aggies won a class. It's good for us in the cup sphere. As we like to say on this podcast, suck it, trees. In, in basketball, Stanford especially was looking to score, you know, 90, 100 points with a really strong finish. And to go out as early as they did that really took a lot of points off the table for them. So Texas early exit hurt Texas a little bit, but honestly, it all comes out in the wash in Texas's favor with Stanford also dropping out so early. I mean, with rowing still on the table, like we know that's a hundred points, Garrett. With row, like I saw your initial drop. It was a couple weeks ago, and Texas was in third. I think was the last time you did a, a big rankings update before the one this week. And it was like Texas is in third with rowing still on the table. Like let's just call it now. Like let's just put a fork in it. Rowing's in, rowing hasn't lost the race in what twelve? Like since the program started, basically. I I, I can't say that, but like since they started, really uh, post varsity blues situation, maybe they haven't lost a race. Yeah, they've they've been on fire here recently. I, is this the third national championship in a row they're going for? Three or four? Um, so, but you have to factor in. You know, Stanford has a couple of national championships that they're going to win. Um, still coming. You know, Ohio State does as well. Probably North Carolina. So these other schools are, are dominant, and you know, tennis, lacrosse, these other sports as well. Gymnastics. Um, Stanford's men gymnastics will probably win the championship here in a couple weeks. So they're going to win theirs as well. But it just comes down to Texas being so strong across all 20 sports, really. Um, that's what gives them the edge, even over the, the big programs like Stanford, who have 31 teams. Yeah, and, and, and right now it looks like Stanford is the, is the number two boat. If rowing slips even a little bit, uh, Stanford take the oar. So you heard it here first. Again. Mortgage bet put on Texas finishing first in the director's cup. We didn't want to put the whole house, but I figured a mortgage payment uh, would be a little bit better. No, I'm just joking. Uh, so, Brett, you, you keep up with this stuff. Like, where, if folks want to keep up with you regularly and see uh, all of the great work you do, the charts and all of it, man, where can they find you on the internet? Yeah, please look me up on Twitter. I'm at direct underscore cup dates. Um, give me a follow. I will update scores um, pretty much after every championship weekend, sometimes. Sometimes there's two or three that happen all at once, so comes in little chunks. But that'll allow you to keep up with the scores. And as the uh, as the season progresses, I'll be updating the final score prediction. That'll be coming out here in a couple of days um, on Twitter. You can see the actual numbers behind the predictions I've I've made tonight, um, and I'll be updating that periodically as well. So that's a fun piece of data to have. Um, 
So please come follow me. I, I did push it over a thousand followers this week. I, I was yeah, out buddy. there trying to make it happen and, and we got there. So heck yeah. Uh, I mean, no small part of that. I, I did want to, I teased it, but did want to come back to is probably that uh, you went on a, a Cinderella run uh, through the uh, Texas Twitter uh, March Madness. Came up against a tough opponent, as the show did uh, with Amanda Atwell on our end and, and our friend of the show. It was a, it was a tough uh, battle between two people we love in, in Reagan Huggins on your end. Um, look, I mean, I, I think where you starting this year, you have to be, uh, you know, a primo lock for an inc- a much better seed next year. Just, I mean, your, your follower count will quadruple by and it just it, I, I definitely sent some strongly worded direct messages Kyle Umlung's way, so we'll we'll see what happens next year. I mean, if Twitter polls exist next year, because that's big if currently. If Twitter polls exist next year, I think I think Brett Brett is going to be. I'm predicting a, a Vic Schaefer year one year two situation for Brett, except he's going to get it all the way to championship. So that's where I'm going with that. If no Twitter, come follow me on Mastodon. I think we're on Mastodon and Post and something else. I think we've got we're camping out over on all of the alternatives. So if it's required to do that, we're there as well. But Brett, and thank you so much for your time, man. We uh, really appreciate you um, letting us have it first before it hits your Twitter feed. Yeah, y'all got the scoop. Thanks for having me. I always enjoy it. Have a good one, my friend. So the baseball team, uh, after getting a solid win over A&M, who's kind of floundering right now, it's fine, 5-3 uh, to three in the midweek series, welcomed the oh – no, were they in Stillwater? They were in Stillwater. Head to, went to Stillwater and uh, actually repeated the score 5-3 to three on Friday night, but were unable to pick up a win on Saturday or Sunday, getting walked off, actually, on Sunday 4-3. to three to drop the weekend series in their first Big 12 series after sweeping Texas Tech a week ago. But for the Longhorns, this is like, again, we don't believe in, in moral victories, especially when you have a lead going into the ninth and you load the bases and you can't do anything with it. Um, this was a very, very winnable series for Texas against a team that is a tournament team and a team that, if they get hot at the right time, could make it to Omaha. So there is, I guess, Texas was in it, but... It sucks to see something like this slip through their fingers, especially against a team like Oklahoma State. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's it's always perspective. I think in everything that we do, you know, sixteen game win streak. We we said uh, after the the terrible start, look, they could go on a run and and you know win some games and really reset the expectations in the season. I think the sweep of Tech uh, really you know took that from just reset to all the way to drinking the Kool-Aid and and look I, I don't know where this team falls in between either of those I don't know if this is an Omaha team I don't know if this is a team that could you know lose to, to anyone on on any given night um, I think they certainly have proven with 16 games no matter who you're playing that that and three of those being over a good tech team and then one over an Oklahoma State team an Aggie team that floundering or not has talent was a top five team at the beginning there's some big wins in that stretch where it went from they just beat bad teams to, hey, they have a number, I think, like 20 strength of schedule in the country right now, right? They, they played probably two of the three hardest uh, Big 12 opponents and one of them on the road. So saying you, you, you go into the Tech and Oklahoma State series, again, one of those not at the friendly confines of home, and you win four out of six, I think at the beginning of the year anyone takes that. After our atrocious start, people would say, are you high? We started four and seven. Um, but, uh, you know, look, I... I the sky is not falling. This is a young team. We've said it many, many times. Um, it still has some of the same problems we've identified. They need to work out not even the end, but more the middle bullpen. Um, and, you know, bats, when they're going, this is a team that can do a lot when they cool down, uh, as you saw kind of on Saturday. Um, you know, there's there's still some issues there. Top end starting really good. Um, Saturday, Sunday starting, we'll see. Um, I think Morehouse in the closer role, which we saw against Oklahoma State, I really like his stuff. I think that Friday night mm-hmm. game, he was electric. Um, I think in yep. the... Sunday, you saw the the downside of of nightmare, um, where you know much like a clown invading your nightmare, it's terrifying when he uh, he can't hit the strike zone, right? And in Oklahoma State, to their credit, two guys it's a, just to, to look right bases with a lead, bases loaded, no outs on the Texas side, get nothing across. That's one pendulum swing. Then all the way other two consecutive batters, he gets up 0-2 on, um, and then ends up walking. Like that's just 
tough. Both of those things really incredibly. That's why the taste, I think, in people's mouths right now is so um, bitter because that was, you know, lose that Saturday game, sure, but hang on to, you know, to win the Sunday game with plays at the plate, with throwing guys out, with doing all the things that winning baseball teams do, and then being able to just kind of squeak out a road victory and, and you know, sit atop the Big 12 standings. Uh, I get why people were upset, but again, it's all perspective they are learning they are young they are growing this none of these people were talking about you know we're, we're in these positions last year Morehouse wasn't even in that closing position at the beginning of this year so give it some time let this team settle let the dust settle you know second half of the season you could see some some signs from a young team if they start to put it together yeah I mean I think I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the duality of Morehouse in that series because Friday night you know, I was texting with with Westcott about it. Like, if he can hit the zone, I don't know if there's anybody in the country that can keep up with him because he'll just blow you off the plate. But we saw the the reverse of that on Sunday, where he you know, walks back to back batters, loads the bases, and then throws a wild pitch to bring the tying run home. Right, like so. Like that is the duality of him, and and if he's able to figure it out, and even just like have fewer wide swings of the pendulum, right? Just keep it. Closer to the middle. We don't need to, we, we don't want the big swings. Just keep it closer to the middle. That's fine with me. And I think you're absolutely right. There is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of blame being heaped on Morehouse in that one. But when push comes to shove, Texas loaded the bases with no outs and did not put a run across the board. If they put up one or two of those runs in the top half of that inning, they're doing big things. Texas led for basically the entirety of that game, went up three runs in the top of the first, and then just slowly saw it dwindle away. And it kind of felt like um, – it almost felt like he was squeezing a little bit on the on the mound. I think he was trying to do too much. I think you could see um, the moment. And this is probably an overused cliche, but like I, when pitchers are trying to do too much is really when things go sideways on them. And I think that may have been – Texas was feeling things kind of slip away from them. That game slowly kind of just, they they bled them out, um, death by a thousand paper cuts and kept it close. And then I think Morehouse, again, probably squeezed the ball a little too hard, couldn't find the strike zone. That's the struggle uh, with that type of pitcher. When he's on, he's it's, it is a wild thing from Major League, right? When he is on, he's on. But when he is off, he's off. And, and um, it is a almost disaster for Texas. Yeah, and, and again, I, I I think there's we'll see if Woody Williams is the right hire, right? Like they have you know some stuff. It's it's being molded on the fly. A rotation. They didn't come in with a set closer. They don't really have three starters designated right now, right? Um, Travis Travis Silly's been been fine. He hasn't been elite. Um, he was the Sunday starter. He's kind of moved to fall into the Saturday starter. He has good stuff. It just seems he always has something happen in his outings. Um, you know, where, where and he doesn't seem to get the, the bats either, poor guy. But, um, you know, it, it's uh, there's some things, you know, if, if Woody Williams is, is the, the great pitching coach that everyone, when we made this hire, seemed to think he would be um, unproven but but a great uh, person and pitching coach, then, um, you know, I want this to work, and, I, and I'd like to see, you know, some of those little things happen, uh, take off, a, you know, take off a, a mile per hour on, on the fastball if it means you're, you're able to paint the corners a little better and throw strikes, you know, um, kind of on some pitch sequencing stuff, like really work with, with pitchers and catchers to get that right. Um, don't want to besmirch the catchers, right? I think when Guimet is playing, he's been great. Um, he took Saturday off, but, but Friday and Sunday, he looks great in both of those home runs in both. He came in the first 21 games batting cleanup pretty much for all of that um, with no home runs. He's had five in his last eight. So, you know, I, I like where he's trending. I also think the defense um the kind of the way he runs with 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 runners on bases and everything it feels a lot better with him behind the plate he seems to be um the you know the guy there uh but yeah i mean it, it there, there's still some things and and you know you look at uh flores had a home run in 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 the uh friday night game like these are these are young guys they're they're finding their stride they're finding college pitching like they're growing into it a little bit. Um, we, we knew this would happen. So I'm, I'm being patient. I'm, I'm coming off a 16-game win streak, the longest in the country. So, you know, I'm not going to be upset at all. But there are still some things. When you think about 
the expectations in our pre preseason pod of hey you know maybe they finish fourth in a tough Big Twelve at the top to now you know sitting on top of the standings and and can they you know do something in the TCU series and hold off to everyone else that they should beat below and can they finish one or two you know and that that that's a big change and, and that comes with it you know some some big expectations but all those caveats are still there this is a young team uh, this is the year before the year right for for most of these guys so um, so yeah I, I I think this is part of those pains and, and ultimately. Look, they get they get one of those uh, walks turns into a strikeout. Maybe that ninth inning goes different, and, and it's not pretty. But they hang on, and we're talking about an entirely different tune. Like literally, just hanging on Sunday there, we're singing the praises of this unbelievable run where they'd only lost one game uh, in their last what eighteen. So um, you know, very close. It's margins. That's what happens in the in the game of baseball, especially with the young team. Quickly, Texas reignited the win streak with a 7-1 win over Air Force on Tuesday. The bats look good. Uh, Ace Whitehead got a great start. Um, we love when Texas gets to welcome the Air Force Academy in. Uh, it is such a special moment. I think the fans really show up for it, show out for it. Um, sucks that Texas has, usually beats them pretty handily. But uh, other than that, it's usually a warm welcome to Austin. And look, I mean, the the... the- player who didn't transfer to Texas, and I get it, went to LSU, and no, no problem, is, is one of the best players in the country from Air Force, their two-way player last year. So we got to see some great baseball against Air Force in the regular season and then the postseason, the the classy move of them at the dish, staying to um, you know, stand at attention for the eyes of Texas, uh, I think will endear them as much as, uh, you know, Obviously, the the future jobs that these men have chosen, uh, but you know, just a just a classy, well run. Love their coach. Love the whole organization. I, I don't. I love it to be a tradition to play them all the time because they're an opponent that you know you respect no matter what happens. It, they gave us, they beat us, right? They gave us all we could handle last year um, in one of the games. So, you know, but I do like it. Seems we launch home runs to to live up to the name against Air Force. Uh, three home runs against them, seven uh, runs. Most of those coming on the three home runs. Galvan like to see that triple in a home run. Dylan Campbell and Peyton Powell, two guys that we need to be hot as we talk about down that stretch. So next up for Texas, they're hosting Kansas State this weekend on Thursday to give them Easter Sunday off before a Monday and Tuesday home and home with Texas State. On the other diamond, softball, uh, setting up a top 10 matchup uh, against the number one Oklahoma Sooners. Um, Things look good for about one inning, I think, for Texas. Texas jumped out to a 1-0 lead thanks to uh, Leanne Good. And then the weekend kind of got a little dicey, a little spicy. Uh, Friday, OU won 8-1. Saturday, Texas actually held a 3-1 lead heading to the bottom of the seventh. Um, But then Texas got walked off there. Sunday, Texas got run ruled 10-2. OU hit two hit a massive three-run home run and put up five unearned in the third to put that one away. It's a really good OU team. It's a really, really, really good OU team, as it typically is. 33-1, and um, you know, they're run-ruling most teams they play. They're currently on a 25-game win streak. Um, They're really good, like really good. In Texas, it was a heartbreaker. Um, Friday and Sunday both looked like you know they were playing a team they were overmatched but uh, on saturday texas honestly looked like they were gonna you know i will say should have could have we're going to win that game with a 3-1 3-1 lead heading into the bottom of the seventh when when mac morgan gave up the lead um and then sitalali gutierrez comes in gives up a walk a single wild pitch to basically give the the you know game ender um the walk off you know it, it was tough it was a, it was a tough way to lose that one after a tough friday where they just looked like the better team um i wonder if that played into sunday of them just you know getting marched off the field there as well um but again it's OU. you had to know it was going to be a tough one i would have loved to get one one win even if they took the series but um you know last year's national championship rematch maybe texas gets hot again down the stretch and and looks to get there but it's one of those things also a very very young i feel redundant here team on the texas side um as much so or maybe even more so than the men's side um so you know they they, they will grow from this i think uh and and hopefully it'll it'll instead of making them downtrodden light a little hunger and this team will want to be the ones to knock patty and her her pals off their perch Nice alliteration. I'm proud of you. Patty and Powell's off of their perch. Next up for Texas, Iowa State in the weekend series again, uh, trying to get back on the winning their winning ways in the Big 12. Now's the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down 
the 40, starting with potentially, not potentially, easily the best team on campus. The number one rowing team topped the initial opening poll, getting 19 of 20 first place votes. Won, I think, all of their races this past weekend. In return, three CRCA All-Americans, Caitlin Nifton, uh, Anna Jensen, and Rachel Rain. Yeah, that's uh, Rachel Rain. The coxswain is is uh, phenomenal. Caitlin Nifton, you know, an international team. It's nice to have uh, a local Austin girl whose dad rode at UT. You know, the the, the familial there. So there's there's some storylines to love that I'm sure Longhorn Network will, will will go deep on. But they they did. They opened up the San Diego Crew Classic, which is considered the kind of country's top spring regatta, not just for the college level, but this is you know junior college masters every every level um a big big uh event generally and it was a strong field number two stanford number five washington number seven cal number 16 usc notre dame looks good um and all of that caveat to say um they went in and swept every race in the the uh prelims as well as the grand finals they uh were untouched basically won every event uh a couple of them by multiple seconds you know good good healthy wins over we talked uh, about stanford being uh, a, a rival for the director's cup texas needs to hold them off and win this national championship and hey someone else could jump up and knock them out of number two would be great um but that first date for the longhorns i mean Unbelievable! Twenty-one consecutive races uh, without a loss, basically, and against all the boats that are in the water with them, they've won seventy-six and zero if you count that, uh, dating back to the beginning of twenty twenty-one. Trademarking the name "All the Boats in the Water" for our upcoming rowing podcast, Texas Relays, the ninety-fifth Clyde Littlefield Texas Relays were a record-setting outing for both the men's and the women's teams. The men came in at number three. I think the the, the women came in. At number three, the men, uh, at number 10, both sides breaking records. Obviously, names that you're familiar with, uh, Rossinat Adeleke, Julian Alford. Um, on the men's side, Leo Nugent-Mauer and, uh, Jeremiah, and Jeremiah Noob also broke ta- program records for their efforts in the uh, granddaddy of them all of the track meets. We'll go ahead and call it that. It is a big one. Um, people show up and show out for it, for sure. And Texas was no different. I mean... Good friend of the program, Coach Zajac, who coaches football, but is also a longtime track coach and UIL state meet uh, facilitator. He's he's deep in the track game. Was was in in prelims already, just sending me uh, texts that just you know had way too much excitement for for prelims of of a you know March uh, tournament. He said you know runners should not be this fast before April. And in fact, Texas in their prelims and multiple events broke records for pre-April times. Like they're running end of season times. Um, you just don't don't see it right. You peak track is a you know you get everything right at the end. You you kind of. Uh, make everything sync with your, your training programs to peak there. If they're peaking this early and, and, and theoretically have more to come because, you know, after prelims, they just went ahead and set three collegiate records on the women's side, the four by two, the four by one, uh, that, that medley, um, you know, w- with uh, multiple runners, but the anchor, of course, being the really, really, really solid foundation of Rasadat Aleke and Julian Alfred being, you know, two of the fastest human beings alive in the moment, two certainly of the fastest women to walk the planet ever, but right now, um, maybe undoubtedly. So really, really incredible showing. One in the long jump, triple jump, won the 800 on the women's side and the men's side. Noob took down that 22-year-old uh, program record in the hammer throw. Nuge set a program record in the uh, in the decathlon, which was really phenomenal. I believe it was the fifth all-time or third win legal uh, when they take out win-aided times um, overall performance points-wise. Um, so, you know, he's, and that's for NCAA, he's been phenomenal uh, his whole career and doesn't seem to be slowing down. So, love to see the men stepping up there. You know, that's a top 10 Texas if they can, they can get a couple of those big wins throughout the season and, and join the ladies. You know, a couple top five finishes there. Uh, and who knows, that could, that could work out real well for those cup dates. I need Texas to get a good javelin thrower as well so they can really dominate the sports inspired by like ancient battlefields, right? Because Texas dominated shot put for a while. Now the hammer throw javelins up next. Let's keep it moving. Uh, Ben's tennis, number one ranked in the country, beat the entire state of Oklahoma, which we'd like to hear Oklahoma State first five to two and then six to one over OU to win their eighth consecutive match absolutely incredible outing from the horns 
Yeah, one all but one match against Soyun, including a sweep of the doubles. Number one, Spazira, newly top 30. Number 29, CM Moldiab uh, and Nevin Emron really each had uh, all, won all of their uh, matches for the weekend, um, including a ranked win for Spaziri, who it's been, I think, two plus months now that he's had that number one spot and doesn't seem uh, to be in a hurry to give it up. Next up for Texas, after a week of top or weekend of top 40 matchups, they've got a pair of top 50 matchups uh, hosting, heading to Lubbock for Texas Tech and then stopping on Wake, in Waco on their way back to take on the Baylor Bears. Number nine. That's 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 not the way back, Gerald, by the way. That's that's they have to go across. I'm just just checking the geography. That's a road trip. They, they, you're doing the whole spring break. You're catching different friends in different colleges. That's that's yeah, that's not the way back. I mean, it's technically on their way back to Austin, but not the way back to Austin, right? Like, really. I guess I'm that's fair. With. I guess that's fair. Okay. Technically correct, which is the best kind of correct. <laughs> Number nine, women's tennis won a pair on the road over TCU and Texas Tech, pushing their streak to seven consecutive. Catching fire. Absolutely, they're they're a team. They they lost their their top two singles to TCU, and it's a little bit worrying. But then they you know rallied to, to win that one four two, um, swept Tech all the way through. They they in fact were up in in all of the unfinished matches as well. Could have been a seven zero sweep, um, and Tech was a you know number thirty three team, a good team. So. Uh, Women's tennis looks like, you know, maybe they lack that killer with the single digit or teens, you know, ranking at the top. But they're as deep as any team in the country, I think, is why they're a top 10 team and they're a threat. Because tennis, you know, while an individual uh, sport and double um, is truly, a you know, at the college level, a team sport. Um, so Texas, you know, really set themselves up with depth this year. And we're going to hope that that uh, that plays out where they can just overwhelm people. They might win some four, four to threes and, and stuff like that as they head down uh the stretch of the final stretch of the season next up for the ladies a tough tough matchup taking on north carolina state on the road we'll see if they're uh what they're made of heading into that one number 11 men's golf finishes sixth at the augusta haskins award invitational uh freshman christian moss and and graduate brian stark finished tied for eighth individually while jacob sosa jumped 10 spots in the final day to finish at six a, a good outing, not a great outing. You know, maybe they were just excited to be be near the Masters uh, this week. The most worrying thing about this team: a lot of great, great, great freshman performances they're getting right now. Travis Vick needs to get it figured out um, down the stretch if they want a chance to to repeat. Uh, or even be in the conversation for for match play for a championship. So I'm um, going to need to see something from the senior, from the leader on this team uh, in, in the coming weeks before we get to the big ones. All right, Gerald, let's take it down through the rest of the world. Some burnt orange lenses on burnt orange lenses. Start us off here with a little bit of men's basketball, obviously. Uh, we know the season is over. I went and saw some Final Four games. I saw the confetti. Unfortunately, it wasn't... Uh, wasn't Texas uh, being being showered um, in it, but uh, the season and final polls came out. Men's basketball finished the season ranked number five in the final AP poll, number seven in the coaches. The AP poll is tied for their highest all time. Number seven is their third highest finish of all time. Um, I mean, a great season. It, it puts it into perspective, right? And, and when you say that's tied for your your highest finish of all time, and you fired your coach, you know, a third of the way through, that's that's something, and I think again that speaks to the uh, the job that new and, and current head coach Rodney Terry did, and, and hopefully will continue to do. I mean, Texas is one of just three schools to like finish top fifteen in, in the final Ken Palm uh, offense and defensive efficiency. Texas, Houston, and UConn. Uh, UConn ultimately won, obviously. So uh, among elite talent there, but really, I think this shows that I think Rodney Terry was able to tweak and tune what. Chris Beard built, and I say Chris Beard built, the framework that Chris Beard uh, laid out for Rodney Terry to fill with talent. So I'm curious to see if that framework can hold up. I think it probably can, and the talent is still there and coming. They're going to have to hit the portal pretty hard, but there's an opportunity to run it back. Yeah, and, and speaking of running back, it'll be interesting to see um, earlier this week, it was announced that Tyrese Hunter will enter the NBA draft while keeping his college eligibility. Everything um, in my you know brain and in my heart tells me this isn't a huge surprise, right? He's going to get some feedback on what he needs to work on. We've seen players do this in the past. I don't expect that he won't 
be back necessarily. I'm not a fortune, you know, I can't look into my crystal ball, but I would be shocked if, if he wasn't. Um, a lot of people, you know, said Dylan Mitchell was a surefire lottery pick, you know, and he might be gone, but I, I would be, he's got the talent. He just needs to put something on paper, maybe have that big sophomore step up and, and maybe next year will be the year. But um, those are the guys I'd be watching. But, you know, you're right. The portal either way uh, will be a huge, as it always and forever will be a huge part uh, of this off season heading into next year for a really, really good team that, you know, is going to try to run it back. I think portal recruiting is going to continue to tell the tale of the NCAA tournament. Getting old is really important in NCAA basketball and the ability to get old fast has been changed via the portal. So I'm excited to see that. Absolutely. And getting old of the guard positions, you saw the, the ball handlers for Texas, right? With Rice, with Timmy, obviously with cars, the main ball handler with Hunter, you know, even though he's, has more left is, is has played some games um that's a big reason that teams like texas you know could make the run they didn't and other teams that had even freshman phenoms right baylor for instance um at the guard positions just you know you want to be old especially there so it'll be curious if texas uh looks at any any guards in the portal or ball handlers um secondary ball handlers as well in the portal to uh to keep that frame. But speaking of getting old, unfortunately, time remains undefeated. Uh, an all-time Longhorn, an all-time favorite, LaMarcus Aldridge, announced his retirement for real this time. Um, I think he quoted Tom Brady and said, you only get one big uh, retirement. Uh, and so he didn't want any hoopla or fanfare or anything this time since he uh, had retired briefly during the 2021 season after experiencing an irregular heartbeat and uh it was a great story when he could come back, um, played a little bit this season, um, for the nets. Um, but you know, that team didn't achieve everything they wanted. He didn't get to, uh, you know, play with, with Durant, uh, once Durant left. So, you know, it makes sense that, uh, he finds his career has, has run its course and what a good one it has been at the end of the day. A seven-time All-Star, averaging nearly 20 and eight. Like he's not going to be a, um, hall of fame guy, but like being, among or being near guys like David Robinson and George Gervin uh, means a lot for your career, even if you're not going to be somebody who um, is enshrined uh, at the end of the day. I mean, he, he crossed that 20,000 point plateau. Only 50 players have, have ever done that. He's like you said, directly behind a couple of great spurs uh, in David and, and George Gervin, who both obviously are in the hall of fame. Um, I mean, I don't know. I think, uh, uh, Pro basketball or basketball reference, excuse me, uh, has him at just over 50% uh, likelihood to make the hall. So, you know, let the internet debate it out. Um, I will say this he is at the very least the best player in NBA history born in the state of Texas. And so uh, if you have other thoughts on that, tweet, uh, tweet at us. Let us know who that might be. Um, but I'm in the king of the segues today. A player who has all the talent, all the tools, all the upside, um, who looks like, you know, one day, if everything plays out right in his career, he could be coming for that title from LaMarcus Aldridge, an incredibly good player uh, born in the state of Texas. Ron Holland was kind of the, I don't want to say stole the show, obviously with Texas uh, social media, those these burnt orange uh, lenses we talk about, um, he was the main talking point, without a doubt. And he, he, he had a great game, right? Like he had a, you know, looks really good in the, in the all-star game, but scouts and, and coaches, the game is, is an exhibition. It's fanfare. You know, you want to look good there. And he certainly did. He looks fast for a big man. He looks like he can do it all. But what really stood out is the practices. It seemed like he was the name on every scout's lips. Multiple um, scouts came away. You know, you could read, just search his name, you know, different people on different websites, again, not Texas focused, who came away basically talking about how great he was, how blown away he was, right? Everyone knew he was good. Uh, last year when the USA team won the U17 FIBA world title and he looked like the best player on the court, everyone knew he was he was obviously very good. But in those practices with fellow All-Americans, the best of the bunch of next year's class, um, his competitiveness, his leadership, his skills, his size and speed combo, um, you know, you can – 
literally handpick any of the dozen articles that talk exactly about seeing those things up close and just how he stood out and worked off, worked his, his tail off every practice when other guys were, you know, enjoying the limelight in the moment um, and just, you know, said the right things, did the right things, expected to come in and, and potentially be an instant leader for this Texas team next year. Not the only five-star that they have coming in in this class with, with Coach Terry on the recruiting chair, which is phenomenal, but but Ron Holland certainly one to uh, one to watch. Obviously, we'll have to see what the portal does to and for Texas, but I think there is an opportunity for this team to be uh, more explosive than they have in, in the recent past. I love the guys that were on um, on the squad now, but I don't think you could categorize a guy like Dylan Disu or uh, Timmy Allen as particularly explosive. So uh, seeing some of the young talents already on campus, seeing uh, Ron Holland kind of have the bounce that he has and this the, this elite recruiting group that Texas is bringing in, there's an opportunity for this team to really turn some heads and play some exciting basketball while also hopefully keeping that um, defensive identity that, that served them so well in many spots this year. So another player who is uh, who is doing the thing um, already and hoping to do even more at the next level. Bo Park got a little preview um, at the Augusta National Women Women's Amateur again the week before Masters. She was tearing up the city of Augusta. Uh, she not only made the cut we talked about in the podcast. She was one of seventy two of the top amateurs, not just from America but around the world, selected. Um, not only did she make the cut, which is already impressive. I think that was kind of the goal um, coming in. But she was top 10 after two rounds. And they basically played the first two rounds at another great course, just 14 miles from uh, the, the Masters. Um, and then at Champions Retreat. And then they played um, the final or the, the third and final round on Saturday at the Masters again, one week before Scotty Scheffler goes to defend his title there. Um, and it was tough. It's tough for every person to play, you know, Augusta National, the hardest course in, in, in the world likely, um, you know, or, or on the short list of two or three. Um, and, and so she had a tougher day. She still finished top or top 30, but uh, no longer in that top 10 after after a tough round at the uh, the Masters course. So um, all, all in all, the coach seemed happy. She seemed happy. It was a great day for Longhorn out there representing. And... A bit of history, Gerald. Um, she hit the first hole-in-one in the history of the Augusta National Women's Amateur. It was not at Augusta National, unfortunately, um, but she nonetheless hit a home run. She did hit a home run. <laughs> uh, a home run a of a shot, one. which would be called a, a hole-in-one. I was still thinking baseball, um, which is, you know, phenomenal. Uh, really excited for her to have that moment. I don't know whether or not she's an ace on the mound but she definitely is an ace on the links. An ace in our hearts. So that's it for uh, for that section. Let's take it home a little Godzilla Tron, Gerald. What'd you watch on your giant screen? So I'm at that point in parenthood where like my kids are, are still at an age where like we have to have a babysitter for them. So my wife and I are woefully behind on like the popular movies. And we finally got a chance to see uh, Top Gun Maverick. We watched it over the weekend. And they don't make enough like dumb popcorn movies anymore. Like that is granted. Tom Cruise is like the only one that's really doing those between that and like his annual mission impossible thing, like mission impossible fast and furious. And that's about it. Right? Like I miss being able to go to the movies and watch like the mummy where it's just like, let me watch Brendan Frazier fight a mummy for 90 minutes and be entertained. Top gun was great. It was everything you want from that dumb series of movies. It was good seeing Val Kilmer back um, in spite of his you know, personal health struggles um, and him finding a way for him to be represented in that movie uh, was incredible. It was great to see uh, 10 stars, no notes. Like it was just great. Did you see it in the theaters or is it, is it streaming on it's, at it's home? streaming? It's already, it's streaming at the crib. So uh, we did not have to good get to a babysitter know. for this one. Good to know. I, I need to. Uh, I need to watch it. I'm. I'm the. I'm now the last person left in the world who hasn't seen it. Do you uh, know the Longhorn connection here with with Top Gun Maverick? Uh, yes, I do. He also hosted uh, College Game That's Day, right. like the week after he did. it came That's out. That's right. That's right. Yeah, uh, our contemporary at the University of Texas, Glenn Powell, one of the breakout stars of of that uh, film. Um, Gerald, I uh, I spent most of my uh, weekend at least watching. Did a crazy Saturday where I went from uh, an Astros game to two Final Four games. So basically 12 hours of Houston sports. Like three of that was spent on 
public transit uh, with the train breaking down, but no, um, it was fantastic watching the final four, got to see the, the, the San Diego state buzzer beater. Um, and then went back Monday for the championship game. Want to give a shout out to good friend of the podcast, uh, David Kwan hooking me up with, with some tickets there. Um, and, and shout to a uh, beloved friend of the podcast, Rachel Kwan for, um, being in the, the secret brain behind making final four events happen. So, um, yeah, it was it was awesome. I spent a lot of what may have been possibly screen time at the games or, or heading to and from. And um, but my wife and I did get a chance to uh, start Top Chef All Stars. I think we watched the first two episodes, and I am excited. We had I had watched Top Chef in the past, but it hadn't become an us show until Houston, obviously. And we went all in and leaned in and loved it. And we uh, love especially Chef Evelyn from from there and did my birthday Got dinner to. in her new restaurant, June. If you're in Houston, can't recommend it highly enough. But Top Chef All-Stars is set in London, which is you know one of our favorite cities. It's It's got some familiar faces, also some All-Stars from, from the other kind of countries, Top Chefs, that you probably haven't seen unless you're just a real deep-cut Top Chef head, which, again, that's amazing if you are. Uh, but it's starting off really, really strong because everyone's just so stinking good. Um, it's uh, it's a great season. Yeah, few, I think two episodes in. So I think I'm, we're one behind. I think it's three is, is live. I, I'm not sure, Gerald, if you're watching it this year. Uh, but it, it's I, we're, we're loving it. We we are caught up, Kyle. That is a uh, that is a after we put the kids to bed, let's turn off our brains. Watch every week. Yeah, good, great season. Love, Love the international flavor. Um, the biscuits were were fun. Seeing them flounder and try to figure out how to make a, <laughs> a classic British biscuit was uh, fun for me because I like a crispy cookie. <laughs> but that brings us to uh, the part of oh, that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle. What are you banging the drum on this week? Gerald, one of my favorite things to do when I meet alumni um, of organizations I was in, just UT alumni out and about. Um, obviously, when someone's a Longhorn, they'll tell you before long. You'll 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 figure it out. Um, if people know, you know, we do this podcast, and so a lot of times they'll say, "This is my friend. He's a Longhorn." You know, he, he should listen to your podcast. Whatever. I meet a lot of Longhorns. All that to say, and one of my favorite things to do is to uh, just kind of talk about you know what was what was it like when you were on campus what was the you know what were people doing what were the big events what were the things that y'all you know loved that you miss you nostalgia and pine for what were the restaurants the bars the places you went and it's you could tell a lot right we've i've heard people you know obviously dirty martins is is uh, a staple that's in the in the crosshairs but has been there for forever uh players was one that recently disappeared that you know was a staple for people um i recently was pulled in inadvertently into a lanes versus canes versus pluckers debate which pluckers obviously destroys um uh, canes please. is from baton rouge lanes from from college station pluckers is the is the goat um we talked about in this podcast our, our sadness when el patio closed i believe is now reopened i haven't been back admittedly um but i think was 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 only closed for a bit and that's the place gerald took me my first week of college to show me an austin uh staple but that's all to say you can tell a lot about your era of college by the places that you went and the places that make you sad when they go. And the, the latest round of that that I've seen the, the uproar about is West Campus staple Cain and Abel's. Um, an institution to the neighborhood, um, a brostitution w- without a doubt. Um, but I, I spent a lot of time there. I, I remember uh, I was going to be a lawyer, and I took my LSAT and and uh, uh, immediately went there and had a what I remember quite a time with some other folks who had suffered the same fate uh, and <laughs> shut the place down. Um, you know, just as a, as a stress relief valve. Um, many you know walk back to West Campus after games, pop into Abel's. You know. Tuesdays, where are you going to be popping to Abel's? Um, it was a place that was in the middle in, in, in large apartments, fraternity houses. There were some restaurants around it, but it was a place you could just pop in off the street and grab a drink, or you could sit there and, and watch, you know, in a made Austin feel a little bit like a small town, watch as people you knew walked by, right? Friends or acquaintances or classmates, you know, walked to, across West Campus to go home between classes, wherever they were, kind of had that, that social hub watering spot. So it is a since it seems to be replaced by another soulless giant high rise, it is a sad loss. But for the folks who are really mourning it, um, 
the memories don't go away. You, you, you always have the stories. You always have the times. Your kids may not go and have the exact same experience of you, but that was never going to happen anyways. Um, cherish the good times uh, and listen closely when someone talks about their times and whatever's next. I'm sure the, the kids five years from now will you know not know about Cain and Abel's. Maybe they'll hear about it in legendary tales, but we'll have their own place. And so I'll, I'll be curious to hear those stories and hear where, because people will always meet. Longhorns will always have a place. They'll always have something and a tradition and a funny story and a something that goes with it. So uh, try not to mourn it too much, but, but hold your memories close because those are special and uh, finite. Kyle, where else am I going to get an $11 Texas tea though? Like, where, where else are we going to do that? No, uh, I'm, I'm a, Abel's was great. I split plenty of uh, time in there. And, you know, you get that price break on Tuesday for the teas. So uh, that was the popular night for uh, for me. Anywho, so I'm banging the drum this week on the women's NCAA tournament. You and I have long been uh, fans of women's athletics. Part of the reason why we structure a podcast the way that we do is to really uh, give shine to those ladies because, you know, Texas fans – thump their chest about the director's cup but remember why texas has won the director's cup for most years it's been the ladies sports and so uh the women's ncaa championship game had 9.9 million viewers which was the most watched ncaa women's game period by record up 103 percent from last year its peak viewership was 12.6 million folks there is some nuance to that conversation that I want to unpack here, uh, but it's the it really the nuance is the same thing that you and I have been saying, and I've I've said publicly about women's athletics for a long time. There's this weird perception that nobody watches women's athletics, nobody watches women's athletics, but the minute that ESPN starts featuring it prominently on their website and on their app, featuring it prominently on their Twitter feed, and puts it on a broadcast network rather than ESPN two. They shatter records. And so I'm here to say none, uh, nothing else other than I hope ESPN learns that they can really push forward women's athletics in the country. I hope the lessons that they learned from the women's NCAA tournament, they can apply to other places. Because, yes, there were big personalities. But guess how we found out about those big personalities? ESPN hyped them. And then we retweeted it. And there were think pieces and conversations all weekend about it. The way that the sport, period, grows, not just the women's side of the sport, but the sport grows, period, when the women are involved. There, there is no reason for ESPN to not do this. They've shown that it works. If you build it, they will come. And so I hope and pray that they see that this lesson, learn the lesson, is that if you publicize something, if you make it accessible, take the cookies off the top shelf, people are going to watch. I love it, Gerald. I actually picked Iowa to upset, uh, in my bracket, to upset South Carolina. I did not have LSU. I was very upset myself that they made it. Um, not because I don't like the LSU players. I've On record, I don't like Kim Mulkey. But, um, I, I, you know, it was fun. Yes. A little bit of trash talk, a little bit of back and forth. Both teams, you know. A little bit of swagger, like it's good for the game. I like it. I like uh, both Caitlin Clark and, and Angel Reese going back and forth with with swagger on both sides, and and you know it's part of the game. We see it on the men's side all the time, and no one really cares. Um, so I, I, you know, I love it. I think it's it's fun. I think it's good for the game. I think it's, um, you know, I'd love to see Texas in that mix, right? Uh, but yeah, fill out a women's bracket. It'll keep you a little more invested. The same way you don't necessarily care how Belmont does in the men's side unless you picked them in a game, right? It's those types of things. Pick the women's games, and you'll pay more attention to them. Everyone pays more attention to them. You'll find out there's a lot of cool storylines going in there. Vic Schaefer being a huge part of the women's game, one of the most successful coaches out there. Um, as he moves into the SEC and has to go against that South Carolina Don Staley team and Kim Mulkey's new juggernaut, it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating. So uh, yeah, tune in. It's uh, women's basketball. I always go back to my residence when I was an RA my sophomore year at the University of Texas was the women's basketball team and uh, went to all the games and loved it and got close with a lot of those, those girls and those coaches and um, covered the team, you know, later. And so I, I, I special soft spot in my heart always for the women's basketball team. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think Vic Schaefer is going to have us in that conversation. So why wouldn't you watch? Congratulations to the LSU 
players, assistant coaches, <laughs> support staff. Really happy for all of them. No, I feel fine rooting for everybody else. There's really so, just that one name. So that's all I've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Kimoki sucks.